Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, Deep Dive with Andy and the White Whale. Welcome to the Deep Dive. NFL is winding down. It's a little melancholy, but you know what? Uh, We have one last game to handicap. We're going to have a full week of that next week. I mean, to the point of exhaustion. So rather than give you guys a deep dive into the Super Bowl, uh, we are going to largely focus on the Pro the Bowl. Other... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do they still do the Pro Bowl? I don't even know, man. <laughs> I mean, let's assume do... they probably are, but whatever. We should just do a skills challenge. Yeah, well, it, uh, it, the, the, you know, the participation is, uh, is pretty sad state of things over the last 10 years. So I've completely uh, moved on from the Pro Bowl, but that's beside the point. Um, Rather than focus on the Super Bowl, however, and the two teams who are participating in it, uh, we are going to do our, an- our, our yearly tradition. This is our annual tradition here, our third year in a row, where we spend the week leading up to the Super Bowl talking about the other 30 teams. There's a lot of other teams in the NFL, a lot of them thinking about what they're going to be doing for 2020 and beyond. Uh, and it's really kind of fun to mine some of the ideas, some of the lessons learned from this season apply it to the broader landscape of the NFL, try to figure out, you know, what, you know, what makes sense for certain teams, chew on, uh, you know, chew on the future a little bit here and no better guest to join us to do this breakdown. First ever appearance on the deep dive analytics guru leader thought leader in the space. Wow. <laughs> fantastic contributor to some of kind of i, I don't know my, some of the most interesting content i came across over the entire football season was pretty clearly uh from pro football focus and so we welcome onto the deep dive for the first time mr eric eager welcome to the deep dive whoa, whoa, whoa. hey thanks for having me i've loved the show for a long time love your guys's periscopes during halftime especially if i have to have happen to have a bet on a game and it's not going well uh, you guys' <laughs> halftime periscopes always cheer me up. Yes. Well, it's there, do- that's doctor, been known to happen. Doctor Eric. <laughs> oh, it's Doctor Eric. Well, excuse me, Doctor. I knew you were a math. Yeah, easy with that doctor shit, right? You were a math professor in your former life. I should have asked. Of course, you're a PhD. Obviously. Um, I guess uh, before we kind of get into yeah, the state of the NFL, step uh, aside, Doctor Chow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah so, if you have a, if you sprain your ankle i'm of no assistance at all but uh when it comes to math and statistics and specifically evaluating um you know the analytics that are now becoming probably um you know increasingly more important in handicapping football uh i think uh, it's important to get your perspective on things uh nfl related and um you know so i guess you know, first of all, maybe you want to do a little bit of a victory lap. It feels like analytics finally broke through this year in a positive light. It feels like across the league, you know, the, just with the, the fact that the, the Ravens so outwardly embraced it and then went on to have a 14-2 and two season. You know, the fact that, uh, you know, it's, you know, the Collinsworth uh, getting, getting you guys some, some spotlight in the prime time. Uh, Sunday night football in a positive light. Like, all, you know, the, just in general, the tone seems to... Uh, be moving in the right direction. We're getting smarter about football. It's making a difference uh, for sure. It's helping me better understand the game itself, which leads to you know better handicapping and you know more enjoyment of the game. Do you want to do it? Am I correct in kind of this feeling that that, that it, you know we you deserve a victory lap here? PFF deserves a little bit of a, a kind of a you know 
high five, cheers. Everybody's pretty, pretty positive about the way things are going. Yeah. I mean, I think what's really nice about analytics and football is unlike some other sports, you know, being more efficient in football means the game is more enjoyable, right? Like none of us want to see field goals on fourth down. None of us want to see punts. None of us want to see running between the tackles for 35 times a game, unless they do it somehow how San Francisco does it. Right. So like what's nice is that I think analytics has helped football become more efficient incrementally see, you know, season by season, but we're finally starting to see some of the fruits of it in terms of just better play. And and that's that to me is the is an enjoyable thing. And you know, us at PFF have been a big part of it. There's a lot of people doing sort of independent work. Uh, sports, you know, the independent sports gamblers have done a good job. I think of you know some of them consult for teams. Some of them do uh, fantastic public work. And then you know other obviously other companies, five thirty eight SIS, you know, uh, football outsiders. All of them have been part of it as well. So it's just it's been just a great uh, season, a fun a fun season. And then, you know, even though the Ravens saw the the ass end of variance the other week, uh, it, it was it was good to watch that. <laughs> uh, get the uh, you know get the fourteen and two record and uh, uh, and, and you know become you know sort of the public team. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put that. It's <laughs> a great I, way. <laughs> oh my god, the the, the worst, yeah. the worst. And I've just I've completely checked out on the people that want to argue about yeah. it. If, if analytics should have a place in football, that that has become so tired for me. And the victory laps people took would be like, no, oh, Derrick Henry, it's <laughs> running the ball. And fo-. like like you just said, like like that was a great way to phrase it. Analytically focused football planning, play calling, just scheming. It is more fun because it's more aggressive usually. It's more throwing the ball and less just running on second and long. It's just a lot more fun. It's fewer field goals, more aggressive on offense, and I don't think anybody, I don't care what they say. If they, I like running the ball and grinding out a low scoring. That, that's not, not a fun game. The NFL's even, they've tried to make it a more offensive game, and the smart teams are taking advantage of that. That's absolutely exactly. it's, it's just like it's just like you know in sports betting where you know there's angles that people play and then eventually everybody catches up and then that's the new norm and then the next team that does something really smart everybody else will try to catch up and you know there'll be there'll be times when teams like you know seattle try to push back against the grain but ultimately you know the i think the <laughs> intelligent play will prevail speaking of sports betting um would i guess just you know, we predominantly speak to uh, an audience that cares about uh, gambling on football. Um, do you have some background in this? Uh, well, you know, prior to my experience consulting for PFF and then be eventually becoming a, uh, you know, one of their senior people uh, in data science, I had not had a, a sports betting background. Um, most of my initial work with PFF was helping, was basically doing projects for our team clients, project for our media clients. Um, but you know, eventually there, there became, you know, some demand for sports betting content and, and, you know, I was probably the, the, the best person, I guess, to, to create that content. Uh, and boy, was I naive, you know, you, 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 you talk to somebody who's bet on sports, uh, you know, for a living or even just like, you know, uh, recreationally, but sharp and you find out how much you don't know. So the, the, the last, you know, I would say three years or so, uh, of trying to, you know, help PFF, you know, get in this space, but responsibly and also, uh, you know, do a good job in, in providing people content and data and tools. Uh, I've learned quite a bit and uh, yeah, doing some betting on my own, you know, but but mostly, you know, start, sort of trying to help, you know, kind of learn the space because it's as you guys have, you know, you have told us on this podcast and stuff, it's not easy, it's complicated. And 
uh, it can be fun, but it can also be really daunting. So from your standpoint, someone who's learned, <laughs> someone who is analytically minded and, you know, data driven, would you say that kind of lesson number one for anyone who's like-minded uh, is just kind of having respect for the power of the market overall? Yes. And, and that to me, I think was the number one, you know, I think the number one mistake people make, if you think about, you know, uh, for example, we saw a, a pretty uh, a high uh, profile company not do this, you know, early in the season. But like, if you're not regressing your numbers to the market, for example, like there might be a problem, you know, because you, you, there's so much information. Like, so we have, you know, for example, you know, if the market moves, that's like information that might not be in your model. Your model might be taking into account injuries. Your model might be taking into account, uh, you know, the strengths of the teams. Um, but there might be something in there that, you know, for example, you know, uh, there, there might be inside information that you're not taking into account, all that kind of stuff. And like, if you're only moving on your internals, uh, you're missing something, generally speaking. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, a, a very healthy respect for the market is, is an essential part uh, of, of even being a like a, a hot, you know, a recreational player, let alone a sharp player. Well, tell the tell the story about the NBA game that we just discussed like a half hour ago. Because it's, I mean, this is it's a game that's happening tonight. So this isn't, you know, but it's this is evergreen because this is a great example. Yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, yeah, it earlier, you know, we have a, a pretty active handicapping chat that talks NBA nonstop. And, you know, we we're kind of going through all the games and all the lines this morning, you know, before the limits really go up. And we're all, you know, going back and forth. And I think four of us all had the same comment, like, what the hell is wrong with this Pistons line? Like, this is, this doesn't make sense. Like, it's off by like, you know, four or five points here. Some people thought as much as six. And, you know, the obvious conclusion is Drummond was questionable. And they were, you know, they were, you know, the beat reporters were adamant, like, this is a game time decision. We, you know, we're, we're not 100% sure. And, the, you know, the obvious conclusion was, no, somebody knows he's definitely not playing like this is, you know, there's there's known information that's bet this number in the direction of the Kings because it's now. And sure enough, you know, 30 minutes, hour before the game, Drummond is out. And it was like, yep, OK, now the line makes more sense. And, you know, this kind of thing happens in the NBA this time of year, especially it happens weekly, daily, almost, uh, you know, and, and specific, you know, in a sport that revolves so, so heavily around you know, key players like the NBA, it's, it's, um, you know, of the utmost importance, but we saw it in the NFL too. Pretty obviously somebody knew Stafford was not right after, you know, <laughs> oh in the, God, in that, yep, someone that knew. A, I, yeah, I, I heard, heard whispers like the week before against Oakland, I had heard whispers that spooked me on that over because we were so high on that, you know, that mm-hmm. Lions you know, Oakland over, we were like, this number is stupid low. Like what the hell? And we were, and then you kind of hit, you you beat around the bush. You find some people who are information people. And you're like, they're like, yeah, I'm hearing Stafford's not 100. percent And you're like, oh, oh, well, okay. You watch the game play out. Still went over. It was a little close. Uh, and then the next week, you know that that uh, the minute that uh, Chicago line ticked up like half a point from like two and a half to three, it was like, oh no, somebody knows. Like like no, he's he's not right. And then you get your you get your action in before. Uh, you know, it starts to trickle and then you blink and it's six and a half. And then, you know, within 15 minutes, it was Schefter's out there like, yep, Stafford's out. It's going to be uh, Jeff Driscoll against uh, Chicago. And it's like, yeah, you know, th- those type of things you only kind of get, a, you know, a sense or a heads up of if you are specifically reading the market and trying to evaluate what's going on. And, you know, you need you need data and analytics to help you have a good baseline. Um, but for sure, 
uh, you're right. The uh, regressing regressing to the market is a valuable lesson that you almost you know anyone that's a data scientist that gets into gambling, like you almost have to learn that the hard way. Yeah, and the the interesting thing about that was even like unless you're doing like what Spanky does, which is like scraping literally every single website in the entire world and moving <laughs> on that information, right? You're you're not going to have a, a model, you know, a, a mathematical model, machine learning model that is going to properly handicap that game until the news comes out, right? Like, you know, we have injury feeds, but they're almost always slower than the sharpest person in the market, right? And that's and that's just something you have to know, and that's the risk you take uh, if you blindly bet numbers. Uh, and, and that's uh, you know, and I know there's there's probably there's ways around it. Like we you know we put in th- certain things like if the you know your line is so much different than the market line, then just put a stop on everything, all that kind of stuff. And I think that that's smart. But like there's still it's just you know sports betting isn't at that sort of like flash boys uh, you know sort of <laughs> yeah process yet where. You know, you can, you can, you know, those are just lumps that you have to take. And as you said, learn the hard way. Oh my God. You should have seen like, I, and this goes for listeners out there too. I don't know how many who are listening today have been with us from the beginning, but if you can remember how fucking dumb we were three years ago, and even like, let's even go further back before the podcast. Like at least we weren't like bet percentages people. No, I mean, we, we, we always had kind of a good feel for what was BS but sure. Not, not good enough at the beginning. We we really learned some less. Like like Eric just said, we took us we took some lumps <laughs> as we learned, and that's um, like uh, when we did golf. What's it? Uh, the Gup, Brandon Gup. Yeah. He, yeah. The best way to say it is like you you pay your uh, was you pay your tuition. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, in yeah. in this in the uh, when you're taking your lumps, you're usually doing it financially here. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um. Anyway, good stuff. I'm glad you guys are are, uh, you know, kind of going into this, I think, with a with an open and kind of, um, you know, reasonable mindset. Uh, a lot of people take, you know, don't, don't learn, <laughs> you know, refuse to listen, you know, listening, you know, they get feedback from, you know, folks in the gambling Twitter space and assume that, you know, it's trolls and they don't have anything valuable to say. And other people are like, oh, yeah, no, okay, let's, you know, let's listen and see if we can figure out if there is any truth to this. And if, if there is, then we'll we'll try to use that in a forward sense. And I think that's a pretty valuable lesson, too. But yeah. I mean, we've taken our lumps, made our mistakes. But, you know, there's there's a thing about it. Absolutely. Like, there's a lot of even, you know, the 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 tr- the people that don't like us have some good information, you know, and you, you have to be able <laughs> you have to be able to be humble enough to take it. And uh, so. Yeah, that, there's been a lot of learning over the last, you know, two, three years. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's, this is, you know, this is a little tinfoil hatty, but like, it doesn't Ooh. behoove anyone who's been, who's kind of a limit player in the space to have smart people in her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't at all. It Would wouldn't it be, be so yeah. bad if you guys decided to pack it up and never do this. <laughs> Would it actually be an episode of the deep dive if Whale didn't put on a tinfoil hat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, anyway. I don't know. I mean, I I don't know. I I go back and forth on this stuff, but the anti-tout stuff, like that's a leak. Like you know, those are players who are putting money into the pockets of you know people who don't have uh, you know skin in the game, and it's keeping it out of the pool to be distributed amongst the winners. And mm-hmm. you know that there's an there there's an aspect to a lot of uh, kind of the um, you know the motivations and sort of the uh, uh, you know the the messaging uh, amongst people in our community that I think can be taken multiple ways, but. I digress. Um, what do you guys? What are you guys up to these days? By the way, um, I, I guess major takeaways recently 
some of the work you guys have been doing on wide receiver value has been fascinating. So, you know, the, the, uh, I thought the, uh, uh, the free agency, um, uh, you know, valuation was pretty, was interesting stuff. Although I took some, uh, I took, I have some bones to pick about the quarterback valuations, yeah. but, uh, and, and maybe it's, you know, it's just, it is what it is. It's it's looking at the past as opposed to really projecting value for the future, but either way, um, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot cooking and you guys have provided a lot of useful insight into, you know, into the game this season. Uh, anything that you felt like was like, especially, a uh, good lesson learned this year and from the analytics side of things that we can apply in handicapping sense or anything that you think is important to evaluate moving forward? Yeah, I think, well, you know, one of the things that we always wanted to do was an attach a win, you know, basically a wins shares to every player in the NFL. And, you know, we had, you know, we had projected that out a couple times in the public space, gotten some good feedback given, you know, our win share values to teams and gotten a little bit of feedback. But now I think we're relatively firm on what those are. And uh, to your point, if you go on, you know, pff.com, we have our basically our, our uh, free agency tracker. You're getting a, a wins of replacement metric for every player who is a free agent currently. You're getting a projected um, salary. Now we get that. We partner with overthecap.com for that. Um, but uh, so I'm not I'm not completely washing my hands of that, but that's that's not exactly like our projections necessarily. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of the good stuff. We hired Kevin Cole and Timo Risky to do a decent amount of content for us. And they're, they're very cool. They're they're very <laughs> uh, uh, smart people. So, I, you know, I, I and, um you know, just being able to contribute, uh, you know, basically to like the service of, you know, our our main stakeholders so teams consumers and then media uh, has just been a lot of fun and, and sort of informing all those different uh, folks at different levels this year has been great. Uh, to me, I think the most fun that I had was honestly being a, being a little bit of a part of the, the Mike McCarthy uh, job search. That was a lot of fun just as he, <laughs> he came around and, you know, I, I learned a lot from actually, I learned a decent amount in terms of what, what to add to our betting models from him actually, just because he had some good ideas uh, about what he thought won football games, and some of them were false, some of them were true. So, uh, just just being able to do a lot of that stuff uh, was was just a great time, and and you know, earning earning the trust around the football community has been very helpful for us because then you know we get a lot of people to interact with us, and they they teach us as much as we teach them. Gosh, I mean, I, think, I yeah, was good, thinking, good. yeah, I was thinking about you know when you talked pre uh, podcast here about how many people work there and you know, you're down in Cincinnati. What are you, I'm just like, what do you do? What's, what's your day look like as a, I think a lot of people might be interested. What, what does the PFF scientist do all day? Yeah. So like a, a, a general day is like, so a Monday is basically making sure nothing broke from the weekend, right? Because we're like, yeah. we have people who are manually charting games and putting them in spreadsheets and, you know, our, our data acquisition tool and all that. And then we have, I have models who, that are on the back end that are sort of creating the power rankings, creating some of the, the player valuations, creating some reports, um, and then spinning those to next week. So I'm responsible for building the fantasy projections at PFF uh, and also the basically our like gambling tool, I guess, that people work with and just making sure that all those things make sense, making sure that the, the chiefs aren't favored by 17 in our model or something like that. Uh, you know, and that's, that's kind of like, you know, Mondays are a lot of that Mondays are a lot of me taking notes uh, about, you know, sort of what I learned from that week. Uh, and then <clears throat> Tuesday, you know, Tuesday through like Thursday are mostly 
content. Um, so we we have a podcast called the PFF Forecast, which is which is which goes twice a week where we talk about you know the NFL broadly, but we do touch on a lot of gambling things. Um, I also do a decent amount of radio and podcasts, uh, and then and then I also I do a decent amount of research and development. So usually those days I'm I'm reading about you know techniques and data science or legitimately just like football articles around the league to learn about stuff. And then Friday, Saturday, and some Sundays I'm doing basically R and D. So one of the things that I do is is build uh, a projection system for the teams that are tailored to the teams. So uh, the draft is coming up right now. So, so really trying to help teams with their, you know, their draft process uh, is one of the things I'm working on, but it can be really anything that I, you know, that, that is part of our research and development team. So usually it's broken into like making sure our products work uh, content and then R and D. Mm. Do you get a sense that uh, the um, cooperative work with the teams is being received at the right level and being taken seriously and those people are coming back for more and you're getting like a closed loop positive feedback out of all that? It depends on the team to be quite honest. I mean, and, and that's the thing. <laughs> Some of them are doing it just to be like, yeah, we have analytics. We've talked yeah. to DFS. And you're like, you didn't do, you, you know, you drafted a running back in the first round. Yeah, well, blink, blink twice yeah, and it's right. the Giants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, are you the computer guy? Folks, you're the computer folks. Okay. Well, and not only right. that, but some teams, <laughs> and then some teams to their credit, you know, we talk about the Ravens, um, you know, how, how analytically inclined they are. And they certainly use a lot of our stuff and, and they were, uh, you know, they're, they're great, but they use a lot of stuff from other people too. And they have really sharp people that work for them. Derek Yam, uh, I'm thinking of uh, Sarah Ma- Mapel and then also uh, Sean Clement, they all work for the Ravens and have done so for over a year now. So like they, they're the good teams are kind of doing a little bit of all that stuff. And then some teams are just kind of poking at the, like there's some stuff with PFF that we provide that aren't even, I would consider analytics. They're just more efficient ways to watch film. Like if you want to say, sure. I want to, I want to look at every single pass play where the right, the right guard got his ass whipped by the left defensive end. Like you can filter that down. And that's like something that PFF can help you with. Whereas, you know, some teams are legitimately looking at some of the scheme analysis we're doing uh, some of the player valuation stuff, all of that. And then, um, you know, so it just, it really does vary. And, you know, a lot of times, some of these teams, like, I mean, New England's the legend where, like, a lot of their systems are already built and PFF is just a supplement or a check on what they're doing kind of thing. So, Ooh, interesting. Yeah. What's the legend? <laughs> well, like, the, the you know, Bill Belichick making fun of analytics is probably one of the silliest things, right? Like, yep. you know, you read, you read a, <laughs> um, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, Sean Harrington was a linebacker for Tufts University, is now their computer programmer. You talk to him for five minutes at the at the combine. He's one of the smartest people you've ever talked to, and, and Bill would Bill would rather you believe he doesn't exist, right? So like, sure. there, yeah. there's all that kind of, or they've you know, and and they've had their own scouting note. Like they've been they've done a process like PFF with internally that for longer than we've existed, right? Because he's been there since 2000. So um, those are you know, it's and that's the various degrees. Whereas there's some teams that have had different head coaches for the last five years you know yeah. consecutively and and you can't expect them to be analytically inclined in year one because all their coaches and, and uh, personnel people are moving into new houses again yeah we the, the bill belichick stuff cracks it's like the the level of subterfuge with that guy when he says i don't understand the snap face and the and the face chat and all that like right. the bill you just you're just putting on a show and you're really really good at it <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, you, you can't. You, you, it's trade secrets. You don't. You don't want the market. You know, like we talked about. Like the the more you expose, you know, what your actual angles are, the faster the market absorbs it. Like uh, you know, the, the 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 harder it is to differentiate yourself if everybody's doing a, it the same way. That's a really interesting point that maybe I didn't think of either. As far as you know, the the turnover that you see with some of these teams, even even some of the teams that just keep losing offensive coordinators every year. Yep. Like uh, Kansas city almost had what their third coordinator go in five years. They were lucky to, they're lucky to keep everything intact again, but yeah. like even, even to the point of coordinators, it's hard to, I suppose, keep all the systems in place when you start losing I many coordinators, just like a high level middle manager, you start losing people in the chain and everything goes to hell. Well, and not only that, I mean, that generally helps us because if a, if a coordinator goes from a team that, had PFF to a team that doesn't generally at the college level, we'll generally gain a client that way. Um, sure. But then, you know, some of these things are interesting because, you know, the terminology will often be, you know, you know, uh, customized for one team and then he moves to a different team and then all the systems have to change and all that kind of stuff. So it does provide an interesting amount uh, of, you know, variability, but it's, it's fun. And, and again, like, continuity to me if you can get a continuous structure within a team that's worth a lot yeah that's well said yeah the, um, the, the head coach turnover thing that makes just so much sense like that's it's it's why i mean go look at who's been at the at the helm the longest with belichick and then tomlin and well let's throw tomlin up but harbaugh like he's, yeah he's certainly top five as far as tenure yep yep and he's smart how about specific aspects of the game itself that you think desperately need uh, more attention? Anything off the top of your head? Uh, well, I think uh, the hard part is so like quarterbacks, we'll talk about that. I think in a little bit, but that's obviously gets a lot of attention, but to me, the thing that we've had a really hard time pinning down is defense. Right. And, and one of the, one of the first things that we published this last year was this idea of like, what's more important uh, in a defense is it coverage or is it pass rush and you know we've watched football I, I imagine we have all watched football for the better part of 20 25 years and when we look at the broadcast we can see the pass rush's effect on quarterback play but we rarely get an opportunity to see what coverage is doing and so I think a lot of us you know with our intuition thought that pass rush was more important than coverage because clearly you know getting in the quarterback's face is the most important thing and he makes Aaron throws but then you know, the more that I've dug into the data, the more I've looked at tape, it's it's a lot. It's actually sort of obviously they're interconnected, but it's it, it's more often coverage and, and efficacy and coverage. That is the reason why a defense is good. Uh, and 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 we just don't have like without the, PFF grades do a decent job of it, but not as good of a job as it does with offensive play. And so, like, to me, like, that's one thing where if we're going to look at places to better handicap football, like that area is going to be the, the fruitful area, I think, in the next five, six years. Mm. Ooh, I like that, that. Seems, that seems like the <laughs> toughest part of tackling football because, you know, we, we've spoken to Joe Pita, who, you know, golf and baseball, and we've talked to other people about golf and baseball, and there's such a, such a different feel, obviously, especially with golf, where you have one guy hitting a ball. And baseball, you know, each individual pitch – each individual pitch is so, you know, isolated. Whereas in football, like you said, there's there's 22 guys going just running around all over the place, 
and it's so hard to like this is where I have trouble and we you know we rely on you know all the articles we read from yourself football outsiders all the all the analytical people that are putting stuff out because it is super hard to figure out like what was the most important thing on that play what made you know what made what's making everything go and it's 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 i mean it sounds like you're having trouble with it so i'm dicked (laughs) (laughs) well it's just it's just really tricky because you you guys talk like i think we'll all agree that in a betting in in the betting space aside from quarterbacks there's probably what a half a dozen players by themselves will actually move the point spread right if that yeah i mean matchups depending but yeah you're right that's probably true but at the same time like if a team is missing three out of their five defensive backs yeah that'll move the point spread sure you know what i mean yeah yeah no one defensive back is worth a half a point himself but three-fifths of your secondary is so there's this non-linear effect uh in, in football um with respect to that or like if you look at it's different on the defensive line like it's it's again an interesting problem in the secondary. You need at least you need a decent number of your five players in the secondary playing well together to have a good pass defense or at least a good coverage unit. Pass sure. rushing, you need one guy to be dominant, right? You need one guy to beat the left. You know, you need your you need your Frank Clark. Everybody else on the Chiefs defensive line, save Chris Jones, although he's been injured for a while, is a stiff. But Frank <laughs> Clark can get pressure on the quarterback, and all of a sudden that defense is a championship caliber defense now, right? And so like. There are all these interesting things about football with respect to correlations and nonlinear effects yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And then like the coverage's effect on on pass rush and pass rush's effect on coverage. And and sort of like trying to understand all that is is a problem where I think we know a bucket and a half and it's an ocean, you know? And then that's mm. like and and to me, like that's awesome because that means there's gonna be opportunity in the future. But it's also sucky because we haven't, you know, handy come anywhere close to solving it yet. And that's, yeah. that's something that cluster injury thing is super interesting to me. And I hope, I hope, you know, hopefully there's more information on that soon. Cause like you said, different positional groups, it's different. Whereas, you know, like the, in the secondary, and it seems like as you lose players or even not even an injury, but just, you know, one of the guys sucks. Like mm-hmm. if you have, the more replacement level or below players you have in one group based on yeah. not having the depth, it seems like it's an order of magnitude as far as getting worse and worse and worse till the point of like you have what Tennessee's secondary was for a few weeks where they were guys from the YMCA were playing back there and Tannehill had to throw a touchdown pass or like every yeah. every drive just to keep up to go through that spell. It was scheme dependent too. Yeah. Like Philadelphia, like they put more pressure on their backs because of their scheme, and so one or two guys becomes a huge you know injury becomes a huge problem. And uh, and the correlation thing is fascinating too. Like that was a super mineable angle for the Bears this year. Like like oh, Hicks yeah. goes out and you see the production of Mac just evaporate, and you were and it was like. Oh my, you know, people were like, oh yeah, well, you know, he's Mac, he's, you know, he's going up against a weak offensive line. He should eat this week. And he's like, no, you can put three hats on the guy. He's not going, he's not doing anything. You know, or, and it was like, yeah. Or he can get pressure and there's no one to clean up on the sack or yes, he's not going to get a, He's not going to make his sack prop because, you know, oftentimes it's a Hakeem Hicks that make, that drives the quarterback outside into Mac, you know, and Mac will get a sack or something like that. Right. So there's, there's all these interesting things where you look at credit you know, the process versus, you know, the result. We, we published an article a couple of years ago. It's like, 
if you know how many pressures a guy gets, you're way more likely to be able to predict season to season the number of sacks he's going to have than if you know the number of sacks he has, right? And and that's, <laughs> and that's like the that's cool. And that's the thing. It's like so. And and if you look at you know collectively on the defensive line, like you know we I think I published this sometime in August. But basically, the idea is like if you have a strong defensive line, it makes the quarterback get rid of the ball uh, faster, right? And and but when you get rid of the ball faster, generally speaking, you do have a little bit better offense because less bad things can happen. But if you have a better coverage unit, you actually make the quarterback hang on to the ball incrementally longer, which can lead to either sacks, pressures, interceptions, but also just like poorer offense. And so like the interrelation of those two things, if you have a weak secondary, the guy's just going to get rid of the ball quicker and you're going to get fewer sacks out of your front seven. And then, you know, conversely, if you don't have a good front seven, your guys are going to have to cover for longer. You look at Detroit, which yeah. I actually thought was a pretty solid bet, uh, you know, a long shot bet to either make the playoffs or win the NFC North. They ended up being terrible because Matt Patricia refused to rush more than three men all season. So it was like, sure. you know, it, those things are, are fun angles to look at. They're hard to quantify in a model, um, but they're interesting to look at as sort of like a secondary handicap for a football game. Perfect. Perfect way to, to frame it. And you you, ever we're not even something. Like, well, I mean, just, you know, the, I don't know if I'm saying it right as far as, you know, what data science truly comes down to, but in my mind, a ton of it is how to quantify something to compare it, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, in a real broad sense. I mean, is there ever anything that you guys have just been like, I don't think we can quantify this. Like this, this might be down the road. We're just going to shelf this. Uh, of course, <laughs> I think I think there are many things like, you know, when you have like I think both of you guys will, will say like you guys that both have models for things and you will not bet an, an edge when you when there are time when there's something that, you know, is a viable angle that you're not incorporating in your model. And like that's like that happens a, a fair amount of time. You know, for example, like we have, you know. There was a time when Tennessee, Tennessee still couldn't kick field goals, right? So late late in the Tannehill, or sorry, late in the Mariota time, we were seeing a little bit of an edge on Tennessee at times because Mariota was grading well in our system, but he wasn't handling pressure as well. The offensive line was grading. It was this sort of weird connection between, like, it was no one's fault, but the offense was, like, way lower than the sum of its parts. And then – they couldn't kick field goals like their kickers could not make a kick. And they kept bringing in these players who, for, for God knows what reason, were replacement level in our model and performed even worse than it. And so, like, we we had edges in our model on Tennessee all year. And I don't think I bet personally one of them because it was just like <laughs> this is never going to come together for Tennessee. And, you know, and 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 that, you know, that's that's not you know, that's something that you sort of have to admit the limitations of modeling. Yeah, they solved their problem by uh, stopping kicking field goals altogether and just scoring touchdowns. Right. <laughs> Historic <laughs> level red zone effect. Possibly good yep. red zone effect. Anyway, uh, there's, right. how about a uh, positive correlation between players? Like, I think of Tampa, Tampa Bay's wide receivers immediately come to mind. Like, Godwin was outrageously good this year. His performance was at another level. But if he's the only guy out there and Evans isn't on the team, is it as good? Probably not. I mean, he's going to well, get more. Happen. Yeah. Not only that, but if you don't have a quarterback like Jameis Winston, you don't get the opportunities necessarily. Yeah, like, right, right. Give, yeah. You know, Jameis gets a lot of flack, but Jameis goes down the field. Uh, he takes chances. He's a wide receiver's dream, you know. And and yeah, uh, yeah. 
and so like yeah there are tons of positive correlations like that wide receiver corner quarterback is one that you know we've never been able to completely suss out in our data um so yeah you do have to correct both because you know otherwise you're going to look at godwin like he's the you know and, and he did have a high wins above replacement for us this year but if you ignored the type of offense he played in it would have been even higher um so yeah absolutely <laughs> there's positive correlations all around um and you know what's really interesting is where they aren't there right so like well you know quarterback play for example um i wrote a piece about this early in the season but what's interesting is we always think about pressure on the quarterback being something that the offensive line is responsible for sure and that's true uh to a degree certainly especially in edge cases but what we found is that the quarterback is every bit as responsible for his pressure rate than the offense that he's in or the offensive line that he plays with uh and so What's, that's freeing as like a handicapper or a fantasy football player because you don't have to consider offensive line as heavily as you, you thought you might have to. Um, but it's also sort of upending a lot of, uh, of football. You know, we always we give, you know, Marcus Mariota. We, we thought Marcus Mariota was just like handicapped by a poor offense. I mean, we had the Titans under this year. It's terrible beat, but we had the Titans under win total this year. <laughs> and it was like people are like, you know, Marcus Mariota is great. He's just been. You know, he's just been held down in Tennessee for all, all these years. He's great. He's a great talent, all this kind of stuff. And what you find out is, no, he has no pocket awareness at all. And yeah. you get a guy in there with half of, you know, ha- you know, some instincts back there and the offense shines. And and so, you know, that that sort of upended that that sort of narrative that Mariota yeah. was a great quarterback that wasn't being helped out. So it's, it's kind of fun to sort of world, test though. all those things. Couldn't, yeah, you didn't predict the touchdown pass to himself. <laughs> Right. We had the, that's can't a, suss another, that out. That was a bad beat where 2017, I had the over in that Chiefs Titans game. And I, Ooh. I root for the Chiefs. Ooh. I root, I root for the Chiefs one. and the Chiefs were up 21 3. And of course, I want my team to win, but I also want Tennessee to score some points so that over would happen. And they scored just the right amount of points to win and not cover the over. So, yeah. And they kneeled it down at like the two. They, yeah, unbelievable. Kansas City, Kansas City didn't let them score the touchdown and get themselves to get the ball back to have another chance. That that was brutal. That was that brutal. Was that was classic, classic Andy Reid clock uh, disaster at the end of that one. Um, okay, so wow, we covered a lot, and this is all super interesting. I guess the quarterback. I guess looking forward then to 2020, and specifically as relates to the quarterback position, we got some uh, we got some turnover this year. There's, or at least uh, you know, we at least a bunch of question marks. Um, looking at the, uh, you know, just generally looking at the free agency tracker you guys put together, they're pretty clear top tier of six quarterbacks. And I guess uh, you have Breeze one, Dak two, Brady three. That's that's reasonable. Uh, and I guess we can assume that uh, for at least for this discussion, let's just assume Breeze ends up back on the Saints and Brady ends up back on the Pats. Uh, Dak. Does he get a deal with the Cowboys? What's what's a reasonable expectation for Cowboys, uh, you know, 2020 and beyond? Well, I think the Cowboys will be pretty good, you know, in terms of they had a lot of noise this season. They had, you know, over 100 point differential. They were first in yards per play on offense. I think ninth in yards per play allowed. They were 32nd in our special teams grades and they couldn't kick a you know field goal to save their life. But they were, you know, fairly solid in a number of places. Um, so I think that they'll be pretty good. Mike McCarthy, obviously coming in, letting Kellen Moore call the plays. I, you know, all that stuff sh- tells me that 
if Dak were to go on that team, uh, you know, and get a, I would say a good, good, but not record breaking contract. I think they can be pretty good. Um, Amari Cooper, you know, a little disappointing down the stretch. He's a free agent. Byron Jones, a free agent. Like, I, I don't think they've gone about signing their players in the right order. They went, you know, defensive end, linebacker, running back. And now they have wide receiver, corner, quarterback left. But <laughs> if they can get two of those three guys back on the team, um, they should be pretty solid. And and I think that positive variance will help them out. Now, in the NFC East, I think there's nowhere to go but up for the Giants and the, and the Redskins. And, and the Eagles, you know, if they can somehow stay healthy for a season, they'll be a tough out as well. So it might not be as easy of a path this year for Dallas, but I do think they'll be fundamentally just as good as they were this year. You think they actually get all deals done for all three of those guys? Say that again? You think uh, the Cowboys really get deals done for all three of those guys? You don't think they're going to lose either Jones or Cooper? Oh, I think they'll lose Jones. I think that that, that has been sort of their um, – that's been their approach this entire time, which I disagree with. I think Jones is one of the better corners in the league. He was a top five player there. I think in 2018, he was probably a top 15 player there this year. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, the great thing about him is, you know, with players that you're going to pay a lot of money to flexibility is humongous, right? So if a guy can play, uh, you know, safety corner nickel, you know, if he fails at one of them, he'll add value somewhere else. So th- there's always some like, you know, there's positive variance there. Um, Cooper's an interesting one because Cooper, you know, he clearly helped them last year, although their point differential, they were eight and two with him last year, but their point differential was like minus three or something like that when he played. Um, but, you know, his issue is, is injuries and drops. And so, sure. you know, how long can you sort of put up with that if he's a high end receiver, uh, especially given that, you know, you've already invested all that money in, you know, your offensive line and also your running back. So I think that they'll get a deal done with Dak. I'm not as sure about Cooper, and I'm, I'm fairly certain that, that the Byron Jones will leave via free agency. What did you say their point differential is this year? Plus they were, 100. I think, over 100. Plus, plus hundred. It's funny how it's funny how the NFL just works out that way. Like last year, what were they like? Plus 10. Yeah, that's when true. The division made the playoffs. Well, somebody was arguing in, in one of our, our uh, company chats about Eli Manning making the and be, you know be, making the Hall of Fame, and I said they've made the playoffs twice the last decade, and their point differential in those two seasons was a combined plus twenty. Unbelievable. So like he they, the Giants have been largely bad for ten years, and he's been kind of the main reason, and he's going to make yeah. the Hall of Fame. Well, probably will. Yeah. Um, I don't really have an opinion. I know I'm, I'm almost ready to, I'm ready to throw some mute (laughs) Mute, words on Twitter. It's been Um, heavy. That's a heavy rotation today. Well, given that you guys have a little bit of a connection to McCarthy, um, one of my concerns, actually, I I have two major concerns with the Cowboys. The first is they have really, they're kind of going down the, um, the Rams path of stars and scrubs, uh, which is always dicey. Um, because you never know when the injury bug is going to get you um, and where it's going to get you. And they're doing an interesting approach where it feels like all of their stars are on offense and they're going to populate this defense full of scrubs. Uh, I don't know about the long-term health of LVE. I don't know about uh, Jalen Smith and his overall performance in the next five years or so, and especially his ability to cover. Um, and, yeah, it's a little, 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 bit, uh, little bit dicey roster-wise. Um, and you know, the, the, you know, the buck still stops with Jerry Jones and he gave Zeke Elliott a lot of money. Do you think McCarthy has the juice to 
kind of run a plus EV offense in Dallas, even with, you know, the likelihood that Jones medals and tries to make sure that he realizes some value in that investment. Well, and you, and you left out the fact that Dak could, could very well be a Jared Goff character, right? I mean, sure. the, the sure. <laughs> Dak had a very good season this year. I think he was our second highest player in terms of war during the course of the year. Um, but you know, Goff was one of the NFL's best quarterbacks period in the NFL for the first eight, nine weeks uh, of the season last year. And we found out immediately once you perturbed the, you know, Sean McVay calls the offense into your ear until there's 15 seconds left and, you know, all that, or your receivers get hurt, right? Cooper Cup gets hurt or Brandon Cooks gets hurt this year. Robert Wood misses some games and the, the whole thing goes pear-shaped, right? So the, the, the fact is, is Dak has played really well two seasons in the NFL. He's played mediocre another two seasons in the NFL. And as you said, like he better, if they're going to do the stars and scrubs approach, he better be a star. He better be unequivocally a star. And, and I'm a little bit bearish on that. Go, you know, I do think McCarthy can run a plus EV offense as long as, you know, he, he learns from what he learned in Green Bay, which was, you know, they were one of the more, it, it, it was kind of babyish at the time, but it, for them, you know, at the time they went, ran one of the more analytically sound teams in the NFL in Green Bay. They ran a pretty efficient and somewhat innovative offense there. And they get the Super Bowl. Rodgers becomes great, right? And they, they, they let that thing kind of dissipate later, later on and, and become stale. Like he, he better like that, that can't happen in Dallas. Right. I mean, uh, or else Jerry Jones is going to get over his shoulder really quick. So there are a lot of ways this this can go bad for them. But I think as far as like, if you're looking at season win totals next year, I think Dallas, you know, depending upon what they hang up there, you know, if it's, if it's nine and a half or something like that, like that's a, to me, that's probably a lean over um, long-term. Yeah. I, I have the same questions you have. Yeah, I just look at them and I'm like, man, that offense can come down. It can go down. And the defense can also go down. What what do you make of the McCarthy, you know, immediately handing over the offensive play calling? Well, I like that. Are you asking me? I like that. Yeah, yeah, both of you. I I think that's a plus. Yeah, the Kellen Moore experiment, when he kind of had uh, kind of the true, you know, reins, I thought was excellent. We've seen that happen. I mean, we do we do a um, play caller sort of algorithm, which basically is like, okay, how good are the teams piece by piece? How efficient are you? How efficient would you expect the team to be and kind of take the difference? And, you know, Kellen Moore was a top five play caller this year. And Kevin Stefanski was also a top five play caller. And I think both players – or, sorry, both coaches – suffered from one thing and what and and I think one reason why their offenses weren't as efficient as they could be and that was the head coach meddling right so in in Minnesota Mike Zimmer wanted a run first offense and you know if you look at the totality of the Vikings work they had one NFL caliber wide receiver on the team for basically half the season with Thielen Hurt and Diggs was the only guy on the team that was any good they had a bad offensive line and Kirk Cousins at quarterback and were one of the better offenses in the NFL for a stretch of time so that's pretty impressive you know, Stefanski has more freedom in Cleveland. Theoretically, uh, you know, he could even be better than having to, the, the structures uh, set by the, the head coach. And I think that was the same thing with uh, Kellen Moore. Once things like started to ha- once there were perturbations to that system, Jason Garrett had a lot more influence on that offense. And we sort of saw some of the limitations of that. Uh, and, and it wasn't as efficient. And of course, the schedule got harder and things like that. But, you know, more or less, there were some things that 
didn't make a lot of sense down the stretch from a from a total you know totality of the team perspective that certainly limited Kellen Moore. Hopefully McCarthy gives him a little bit more freedom, uh, you know, in twenty twenty. Plus, he can grow. He can get better. We, yeah. we, I mean, we brought that up a few weeks ago too. I can't remember who had the nugget, where it came from, but you know, first the first couple games, it seemed like it was more of a Kellen, you know, Kellen Moore game plan, and then somebody showed us the stats about how yeah, many the Saints snaps game the week four, the Witten snaps, the Witten yeah. snaps just kept <clears throat> creeping yeah, yeah, up, yeah, and, yeah. They, and they said, and they the made play a good action point. percentages went down too. Yep, yeah, yep. They, those those two lines crossed, and they said, yeah. this is Jason Garrett's fingerprints are all over this, and they were less effective on offense. Yeah, yeah I, and, and I weird, and I know that you know one of the places <laughs> McCarthy was looking, you know, he there were there were a lot of places there were. There were the rumors that he was going to go to Pittsburgh because that's where he's from, Cleveland, obviously, and then then Dallas opened up. And there were let, – let's just say that Dallas was an offense that I think a lot of people were studying this year. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like that. Um, okay. Well, uh, that's enough Cowboys talk probably, although hopefully How people – them Cowboys? <laughs> hopefully people uh, – okay, again, they, they're the most interesting question mark going forward, in my opinion, for sure. Um, well, yeah, the cap – the I mean, just the contract stuff, the new coach, and yeah. the fact that they've – they they have potential. They have all this pent up potential to be a really yeah. good team. I'm otherwise, uh, otherwise, I mean, you know, we we've seen how important quarterback play is. We've seen, uh, you know, how quickly an offense and a team overall can fall apart when they, uh, you know, make the wrong decision as far as the future of their franchise at quarterback. Uh, do you think we see musical chairs otherwise around the league, or do you think uh, the likes of Tannehill ends up back in Tennessee and? James Winston ends up back in Tampa. Philip Rivers. We just, I think. I mean, Rivers moved to what? He moved his family to Florida, and, and yeah. you know, River Rivers made twenty interception seasons cool before before Jameis ever <laughs> dabbled in him. So, like, that's kind of a Bruce Arians quarterback, if you've ever seen one. I, you know, um, I don't know. Like this season, don't you guys get the impression that this season was the season where? coaching mattered more possibly than quarterback play or like like well quarterback play mattered more but coaching came into the yeah in a relative sense yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah because because you lost you lost luck early in the season you you, you retired you lost oh. Roethlisberger you lost you, and then Rivers kind of hit the skids Brady hit the skids a little bit um you know Mariota got like the effect of yeah. coaching was pretty palpable this season and I wonder you know because of some of the young quarterbacks that had promise the Darnolds the Baker Mayfields the Murrays um like those quarterbacks are either not going to be good or they're not ready to be good yet where you know the set it and forget it quarterbacks the Russell Wilson's the Patrick Mahomes of the world you know the the aforementioned guys who are great and now are older like I think that we're going to see a little bit more hubris on the side of offensive minds coming up and we may see more musical chairs. Like we may see more of like a, you know, let's screw it. I'm going to take Phillip Rivers for this one year and see if we can't get Brett Favre 09 out of him or, oh, you know, God. that, that kind of thing. <laughs> and, and so, you know, Spoiler or, alert, you can't. Or, <laughs> or, you like Arthur Smith, like does Arthur Smith, does Arthur Smith take most of the credit for what happened in Tennessee and acquire a quarterback like Jameis Winston, who, you know, I think is a little bit more talented than Tannehill, but obviously higher variance, right? Because the Tennessee's looking at themselves saying, yeah, we're, we made it to the AFC title game, but we've been nine and seven the last four years. 
And, you know, at this point, let's try to go 12 and four and Jameis can get us to 12 and four. You can also get us to three and 13, but like, you know, let, let's shoot for some Sigma there, you know, like that's kind of how Deviance. I think that there's a, a, a universe where that happens. That, that leads me to the, the question about, you know, we talked about this and we didn't have a really good answer for this, but the Drew Brees injury and you went through a six game stretch with Teddy Bridgewater who was kind of a round peg in a square hole or what, what have you. He Didn't was fit not, the system. Yep. No, he did not fit the system. He's a completely different type of quarterback. They went 6-0. and Like, I, I feel like some of it was variance, but I still think you got to give Sean Payton quite a bit of credit for – and it, it makes me think of, to a much lesser extent, what Shanahan did last year. And people won't get excited about last year's Niners team – but just all the cards he was dealt and then just completely switching everything they did and, and putting together a half decent season and oh, yeah. ruin it, ruining some people's season win total unders. Yeah, no, we, I, we talked about it in the preseason. Like if Jimmy G's, if this doesn't go right over, over the first three, four weeks, do you pull him for Nick Mullins? Cause you know, Shanahan made Nick Mullins look that capable. A great coach can do a lot. Year. Yeah. Yeah. They had they they were the the joke around Niners Twitter was it was an elegant tank. And they were they were a Aww, I like that. That's they were great. a they lost games but they were competitive doing so and they learned a lot about their team. Now the, so the interesting thing with Breeze and I know I I've listened to you guys' pod but, you know because you guys I believe bought into some uh, New Orleans futures in week was it 3 and it, and it I, was and I yeah, that was I think, I think it was probably after four or five, actually, because I the um, what's his name Bridgewater had one. Uh, he beat the Seahawks, he beat the Cowboys, and at that point it was like, oh, if they're just going to win and set themselves up for home games in the playoffs, and yeah. Breeze is going to rest his shoulder, then this is setting up as the perfect storm for you know the Saints to make a run. That was like the angle, and it was probably week five. Yeah, the interesting thing about the about the Saints and. The, the thing that caught up to them and, and what's really hard and a, a reason why I don't know if they're if it's strange because they got a great offense, but I don't know if their type of offense plays well in the playoffs. And the reason is, is like aside from the 49ers, the only team with a lower average depth of target is the Saints. Um, their their number two wide receiver had a Ted Ginn had a, like just a little over 400 yards. I know Jared Cook did well second half of the year, but he only finished about 700 yards. It's really hard to win offensively when your offense requires you to cross the street a hundred times on the <laughs> way on the way to the end zone because eventually, like if you play a good defense and the Vikings regressed a little defensively this year, but they're more than good enough to get enough stops in a game like that where you know the 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 teams like Kansas City, like Kansas City, you know, run on first down, no gain, incomplete on second down, and then deep shot to Sammy Watkins, who's their fifth best player on offense, you know. And that just is like really hard. That's a, th- those trump cards that you can play with that kind of offense, like help you win games better in the playoffs against good defenses or at least average defenses than the Saints. And I know like the narrative was that his shoulder was shot, and that that certainly was true. But I also think it's just the style of play he plays, and 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 Peyton yeah. wants him to play, which is to throw the ball underneath, and he's super efficient there. But you know, you play in the NFC South, like those six games are pretty easy for them. And then, you know, the you, you, a normal schedule is going to contain a few AFC teams that suck and all that kind of stuff. So, like, they can get to 13-3 and three fine playing like that. But in the playoffs, where you kind of have to play two or three really good defenses just to even get to the Super Bowl. To me, it's just like kind of a, a thematic issue. And, and 
something that I don't know at this age Breeze can sort of overcome and be more of a down-the-field player. Yeah, I feel like if he couldn't do it this year with a six-week vacation, then he's not going to be able to do it. He and I, to, I, Yeah, he needs the, to hook up in, with Peyton Manning's wife. <laughs> get, get some ingrained, of that HGH, ingrained, yeah. ingrained in the back of my head is the three plays. One, the first deep shot they took, Taysom Hill threw the ball. Yep. Two, after he made that completion, it felt like Breeze wanted to try to see if he could do it, and he couldn't. He got picked. And then in the second half, when they were trying to drive and come back, there was one pass where he threw to Ted Ginn, and he, you watch him in the motion and throwing motion, the mechanics, everything. He put his entire body and soul into that pass, and it would look like he was trying to launch that thing 60 yards, and it went like 20 yards in the air. I know. And it was like, you know, <laughs> that's what he's got now. That's what he's yeah. got. And, you and know, it's really, it's, it's really hard to win that win. way consistently against good to you know good to great defenses yeah right and if you're not on the you know if you're not on the tom brady uh you know healing program then you know you get old when you get turned 40 <laughs> you know um, <laughs> yeah and the vikings <laughs> just peaked for a day like they they were yep. clearly not the better team throughout the season they peaked hard it just didn't work out they held on for dear life I, they held on for, yeah, yeah they well. held on for dear life i still don't know that the saints would have made the super bowl but that's uh it's like eric said that's what happens when like they had, they had to go to the Taysom Hill stuff. They didn't. The have Vikings, the yeah. Vikings screwed them twice. They they tanked that Christmas Eve game on Monday Night Football to give <laughs> the Packers the two seed, and then they turned around and eliminated them with the, you know, their game of the season. That was really something. Minnesota getting a little karmic revenge for the old uh, bounty gate. Some would Honestly, say. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't even care if, if Minnesota never wins a Super Bowl, and I'm not as big of a fan <laughs> as I used to be. I would be happy to win one wild card game every year over the Saints and then just fuck yeah. all, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Knock the Saints out for the next 30 years. Yeah. Your take your take on the uh on the quarterback merry go round though is interesting, and it's not crazy. I I, I mean if I'm but if I'm Tennessee, um I think Jameis yeah, well, I don't I mean, think they I, can get him. I, I, yeah, I just I mean, think Tampa's yeah. gonna gonna hold on to him. I think It'll if you're really Jameis, yeah, I think if you're Jameis, you want Evans and Godwin to be your primary receivers for as much of your career as you possibly can have them. Yeah, uh, no, and versa. you don't want to take yeah. anything away from AJ Brown, but yeah, he's got a good situation as far as receivers down there. Well, and not only that, but I mean, you look at Tampa Bay's offense is just made for Jameis Winston. The middle of the field is where you know Jameis over the last. He was actually. Uh, eclipsed by Tannehill this year, but Jameis is historically our highest percentage of positively graded throws. So throws will we'll upgrade a player. Jameis leads the NFL in that almost every single season. It's of course, he also leads the league in like turnover worthy plays every year. So it's sort of this like back and forth, but Arians very much leans into that variance every game uh, to the point where it became a running joke, right? He throws a pick six on the first drive. He's got the other team right where he wants them, you know, and like, uh, and, and, and he was and like, that was why, like, one of the best props of the year was Jameis to win the passing yardage title, right? Because sure. he was going to go, you know, down the field all season. And, and Mike Evans is not a cat. Mike Evans would not fit into the Saints offense because he gets zero yards after every catch, but he like gets down the field and like he's a huge ADOC guy. Godwin's a little bit, you know, more, yeah, I think he's better all around, um, but he, you know, he's also a down-the-field player and does a lot of it through the slot, and, and it was perfect for Jameis. Like, if Jameis could figure out how not to throw the ball to the other team, he would be a superstar quarterback in the NFL. Just, you know, seem, yeah. That's not a trace that you can get rid of, apparently. 
Yeah. Well, at least this year they couldn't. Um, I don't know about that Tennessee was, though. If I'm Tennessee, yeah. I, I don't know what to do. I think you almost have to bring back Tannehill. Uh, I think you almost have to run it back. I mean, and you know, I don't know what their strengths are, but like clearly the AFC South is going to be winnable for years to come. I mean, I, I know that by far and away your best quarterback in division is going to be in Houston, but you know, Bill O'Brien is kind of gave away all of the, he gave away everything. They don't have a general manager. They're right. You know, that, that's, that is really uh, a, a volatile situation down in Houston in a million different ways. And they gave away so many future assets for a run at this year. I just don't see how, you know, Houston doesn't come, you know, regression doesn't come calling hard for that team, even though they have, you know, a quarterback who's as dynamic and as awesome as, as uh, Watson. But uh, yeah, I don't know. AFC South is fascinating. Well, Houston, you know, Bill O'Brien is sort of, in some sense, we all think of him as kind of a boob, but he's kind of a genius if he wants to hang out on that GM job because he's made that GM opening like not very attractive to somebody who would want it, right? Because if you show if you show up and you're like, okay, I want to be a GM, like if you're Scott Pioli or somebody who's been a yeah. GM before and wants a new job, you're like, okay, well, great, I I'm here, and what 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 draft picks do I have? Okay, I have a two a four and a six left, like, you know, <laughs> where, so. Oh well, yeah. And you, you're just set up for failure immediately. You're going to look bad for a couple of years. Whereas with, yeah, and that's the thing about a GM and a coach and why I think like both are important. Neither is more important than the other, but the, the strategy has to be different, right? The coach is trying to win the next game and the GM is trying to win a game two or three years from now. And, and when the, when they're, those two positions are held by one guy, it gets, you know, asymmetrical there. And, 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 you know, so that's why you've seen a lot of that in Houston. And interestingly, you talk about variance with that team. Like, you know, when I talk about pressure rates, like Watson's the guy that I, sh- I see. And, like, they get they traded a first-round pick for Laramie Tunzel, and he, by all accounts, is decent this year. And Watson still faced a ton of pressure because he's just the kind of guy that invites a lot of pressure himself. Sure. And, yeah. and so you the variance in his play is really just what you see in the variance in pressured pocket quarterback performance. Like, clean pocket quarterback performance is pretty stable game to game, year to year, pressured pocket, because pressure happens in different ways. If you get pressure from just rushing four guys, quarterback's not going to have a whole lot to throw to. If you need a blitz to get pressure, then, you know, he's going to have openings. We saw in the Buffalo game, like even from the first half of that game, he couldn't complete a pass. In the second half of the game, he couldn't be stopped. And that's, I think, what Houston's going to be uh, for, you know, as long as they have Watson and and Bill O'Brien as, you know, the coach head coach pair there. So, Yeah. It, 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 that's an interesting division. I do yeah, think they run it back with Tannehill for the reasons you said. Like they're picking in the bottom four of the first round. Like there's really no option for them in the in the rookie class. And if you're going to take a quarterback in free agency, he's either going to be not very good or cost a lot of money. Yeah, right, right. You're well, very whole divisions. I mean, we said this last year. It's which, to be fair, we recorded our we recorded our AFC podcast preview. Like it was what? our first one. The well, first like one we did two days. We did, yeah, we did yeah. a dedicated pod for every division. So we had eight of them. So we had to be four weeks out because uh, we were doing two one. a week. That was the first one. And then Andrew Luck retires like two days later. Which yeah, was, we picked oh, we picked oh, that hilarious. one first because we were like nothing crazy is going to happen yeah. here. We're going to well, say and, that the Colts and, are going to win. <laughs> yeah, and then after, I mean, our our main thought after that was like this division's kind of a mess. Like I could see any of these teams winning this division. Obviously you had the Foles injury. That was kind of goofy. The, the Brissette not panning out maybe as well as we thought he would, but I think we're in the same exact boat. Like I'm high on Watson. 
I'm low on O'Brien. I think the Titans can run it back. And then I just don't know about the other two teams. But we did get a – we ended up with a fun offensive coordinator down in Jacksonville, I think. <laughs> I was yeah. I'm, 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 I'm sold on the – that's my, like my pet theory about people who are going to be really shitty head coaches but can still be really good coordinators. I think he might fit that mold. He's in there for me. I'm not. I'm not 100 sure they have all the pieces yet, but they're, I'm. I'm not thinking they're going to do anything next year. But Titans 2022 or yeah, Jaguars, whatever. They're a classic. I mean, like there's one of those teams every year. So in 2018, the Jaguars were a stone cold lock under. Right. 2019, it was the Bears. Right. 2020, it's the Bills. It shows you how fast defense can sort of regress. Right. Like their defense was the like lights out defense of 2017 and just two years later they can't stop anybody it's really you think it's uh you think it's the bills not the uh not the packers well i the problem with the packers is that yeah the packers are a good one i don't know i mean if if you give me double digits on their win total next year it's a blind bet right like it's gonna be like 10 yeah it'll be 10 they'll be this year's rams the bill the thing with the bills so like the, the the thing that we spotted was I talked about possibly graded plays, but negatively graded plays are the most stable thing a quarterback does. (laughs) And so that makes sense. So we had, you know, Mitch Trubisky in 2018 was a bottom five quarterback in avoiding negatively graded plays. And we found that there was no quarterback in the PFF era who let was a bottom five quarterback in negatively graded plays one year that led his team to a top 10 finish in expected points the following year. And Mm. Trubisky like actually basically was the same quarterback in 2019 that he was in 2018. The results weren't the same, obviously, because of variance and the fact that when your defense regresses even a tiny bit, you're in less advantageous circumstances as a QB and you you perform worse. But like Josh Allen was the worst quarterback in the NFL this year in avoiding negatively graded plays. And the Bills are very smart. They they run their their team is very well constructed. Their coach is terrific. Offensive coordinator is fine, all that kind of stuff. But, like, you can't hide a quarterback that can't complete passes. Yeah. Yeah. Suma, uh, Suma had a good tweet, like, right away in the, the first game against the Houston Texans there. He's like, that is the definition of a turnover-worthy play when Josh Allen did something incredibly stupid. <laughs> also, and then later he he decided to lateral straight up in the air as well. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Didn't work out. Imagine how bad that game would have been if Bradley Roby would have caught one pass. Yeah, right. Oh yeah. Was, yeah. He had yeah. three chances and missed all of them. Yeah. Wouldn't have been as entertaining. Um, it was a okay. fun game. And the yeah, books got middled to beat the band. So that was yeah. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> on the total on the side, right? Um, anyway. The, I guess, other, any other teams pop for you, positive or negative regression? Uh, let me think. Um, it's too early. It's, I think. What about what about you, Andy? Negative, like I think the Packers, like I just said, the Packers could yeah. end up being next year's Rams, where it's like, oh man, they were they were a pretty good team this year, like they almost made it, and they're, they're, like you know, like Eric said, their their win total might get set at ten and ten and a half. I mean, anything double digit is probably an underplay because it's it's still going to be a first place schedule. They just had the Viking, a stupid the, easy schedule this yeah, year. Yeah, the Vikings, it was the so Vikings easy. will still be. You know, a decent team. Vikings win total be nine, nine and a half. It's it's not going to be easy to get to eleven wins for that team. 
Yeah, mm. to your point about the Vikings, I think it really does matter who they hire as offensive coordinator because we've seen that, especially with a quarterback of Cousins caliber, it really does depend. <laughs> you know, it, John D. Filippo was terrible, um, but surrounding him, Shermer was great. Stefanski was great. So they really do have to get somebody in there that will accentuate the playmakers. Otherwise, you know, much like in 2018, I think their under will be a nice play, uh, given especially their defense and how many free agents they have uh, that they can probably can't retain with negative cap value. Hmm. Kirk Cousins is a Pro Bowl quarterback this year, mind you. Yeah, true. <laughs> I saw that today. I'm like, what? How many people had to step aside for that? Well, Xavier Rhodes is a Pro Bowl corner. Did you see? Oh, I'm not. Yeah, I, 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 mute, I muted that too because that's just hilarious. Um, what about uh, positive regression for the Browns? Anything? Any thoughts? Yeah, Boy, I mean, I think if, you, if you look at the Browns, they have a lot of characteristics on offense, and the Vikings do. They have a quarterback who could go either way. They have two wide receivers that are extremely talented, an offensive line that's weak. Um and a running back who's terrific both both of the running backs for um you know for the for the browns are pretty good so uh that's that's ba- basically similar to what the vikings had and we saw what stefanski did so um you know they're always going to be looking up at the ravens but i think as far as like a season win total like if that number seven and a half i'll take the over mm, yeah that's probably where it'll be i guess but yeah i mean removing freddie kitchens from the head coaching job has got to be worth a couple wins yeah, it's funny you said oh, they have similarity to the Vikings, and then they go get that offensive The Vikings, OC. Yeah. Um, and, and they're looking at their front office, too, for, for positions. So. What would you think of the uh, head coaching hires in the NFC East? We the, talked the about Joe McCarthy Judge thing, How about the other two? The Joe Judge thing was interesting, right? Because, obviously, you know, Belichick assistance, the, we, we gave Bill O'Brien a lot of grief, but he's been the most successful one. Yeah. Uh, and, and well, Flores so, did pretty damn good job this year, I'll say. For sure, yeah, for sure. And and it does look like Flores knows what he's doing, and that team actually has a pretty solid, like, uh, you know, consistent, consistent thematic like approach to building a team. Um, but so there's always a question, right? With with that, you know, he doesn't have a ton of experience uh, in the head coaching realm or calling plays or doing anything like that. But you know, if he can build a culture there where, you know players want to play for the giants and you know they and they you know because recently they've lost a lot of superstars for you know a, a myriad of reasons uh if they could build around daniel jones and you know Jan- daniel jones showed some promise this year uh they could they could pop up i don't love the quotes that come out consistently from gettleman they're all spooky and i really don't love the uh <laughs> the hiring of you know putting this 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 mosh of of uh, coaches together and you know his role is his his role is unclear his role is unclear well what's his role his role is also unclear (laughs) we're not sure what these guys are going to do we just know that their names we're putting them all what do you think of them in relation to the the redskins because i think if you look at the redskins staff you look at jack del rio you look at obviously ron rivera but and you look at getting rid of bruce allen that that all looks positive to me um, but then you have this, you have the issue of Dan Snyder, right? Which is, you know, sort of a one step above the issue the Giants have, which is the Giants have an issue at GM. The Redskins have an issue with no matter what they've done under Snyder, they've always been dysfunctional. Right. Plus Haskins is terrible. Plus their, their training staff can't diagnose, uh, you know, can't diagnose cancer correctly. So what, what free agent in their right mind signs a deal for Washington at this point? Yeah. The, the Trent Williams stuff was spooky. That kind of, you know, got player of that caliber 
uh, with that, uh, you know, that reputation. Oh, the, about that. I, I, yeah. I don't know who, I don't know how you get anyone there other than drafting and they haven't really shown an ability to draft especially well outside of Terry McLaurin, who's freaking awesome. Uh, you know, plus their cap yeah. space stinks with Alex Smith's contract. Yeah. yeah it's a great God, point. Yeah. It's a that. great point. And, and all those coaching hires, I mean, from, from the top down, it feels like those are all safe. Like this guy, it's a nice safe pick, even the Del Rio. And sometimes that stuff just backfires. Sometimes it's just not the right guy, not the right fit. Even if they have experience and have had some success, it just doesn't work out. And like Eric said, sometimes it's, sometimes it comes down to the ownership or even the, just the management there. And that's kind of a whole toxic situation they have there. It might just, it might be a couple years stop for Rivera and somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Overall, I thought the, uh, that the, that the coaching, um, staffing, et cetera, over this, uh, you know, last little two week window was fine. Nothing that I'm super excited about, you know, that I don't love the retreading. I don't love the, uh, um, you know, I, I don't, I just don't, I don't have any affinity for the teams that, you know, the, the, the rosters of the teams that brought in new coaches. Yeah. So it's kind of like great new coach, same terrible pieces. You're still yeah. going to stink. So I think I, it's still, know. it's Cle- Cleveland. The more I'm thinking now, like Cleveland is my positive regression. Like, I don't think anybody's this close for, for me. I might have to sit down and write some notes, but boy, yeah. they, we, we kind of, we kind of nailed them. And then, oh man, going back to Jameis. Like what was your price on uh, Baker to throw the most interceptions? Yeah, sixteen to one. Like sixteen to one, he was he was cruising around the quarter pole, and then Jameis turns into Secretariat <laughs> yeah. of Belmont. Jameis <laughs> caught him for interceptions. Forty links ahead. <laughs> Secretariat of Belmont. Oh my! He just, exactly he just, right. Every he just, the gap just kept widening. So <laughs> he threw four interceptions and four touchdowns today. Like what is going on? He, uh, he caught he caught uh he caught Dak for yardage pretty quickly and then but also you, know, you pay you know Rob Peter to pay Paul you also uh you, you caught uh, Baker for the picks yeah. easily easily caught him and yeah. passed him um okay well I mean I think I'll, let's we'll, we'll start wrapping this up I think overall like the work you guys are doing is really helping me personally so thank you and I think it's helping the community at large get smarter and enjoy the sport more and uh, and uh, really appreciate uh, that we're kind of rowing the boat in the right direction. If anything, like it gets a little frustrating that it's not changing faster, you know, like the, the, mm-hmm. that the uh, the needle moves awfully slow, it feels like. But that's, you know, it's the league. What is, you, yeah. What's your opinion? So like one of the interesting things I and I, I came to this conclusion after I, I, I was on uh, Seattle plus four and a half against Green Bay. <sighs> and Me too. Yeah. And part of me was watching that game thinking to myself, one of the big things in sports betting over the next, let's say, you know, as analytics become more and more uh, ingrained in football, there's going to be the haves and haves not. And there always have been like, it's why the Patriots have been the not sharp side for 20 years. And the sharp, you know, that's the one side the sharps never get right. Right. Because they were doing everything right. And everybody's doing everything wrong. But like you look at that game and you're thinking to yourself, when you bet a game, you don't want to coach it, right? You don't want to sure. say, well, they have Russell Wilson, so they should be more efficient offensively because he's probably, aside from Lamar, the league MVP. And if if, if X, Y, and Z all occur, this game is going to go the way that I think it does. When in reality, I'm thinking to myself, yes, but Carroll's going to get in the way somehow. Sure. Yeah. And so, so in, in the future, yeah. like, are there, what's the angle when it comes to, 
you know, the Ravens are going to, the Ravens are going to do everything they can to open up on this team because they do everything right. The Eagles are kind of similar, although they didn't have the horses this year to do it. And this team, like Bill O'Brien's Texans are just going to get in their own way. Like it's there. Like I'm, I'm trying to figure out if there's, if, if we're just a, attacking small sample sizes there, or if there's something systematic that's going to be an issue. Cause I always, I found myself on that side of a bet a few times this year and I just find it frustrating, right? Like where yeah, absolutely. the models may be assuming that every team is equally intelligent and they're just applying their, that equal intelligence to the different, you know, strengths of, of each of the facets. Or if we have to somehow put in something that says this team's sharp and this team's dull. <laughs> yeah. That's, we, I mean, co- still co- yeah, on dull quantifying, quantifying coaching is a very, very, very difficult task there's no doubt about that um you almost have to do everything but that and you you almost have to separate the impact of coaching from your whatever player level you know model you're assembling whatever team level model you're assembling you almost have to take coaching out and then kind of add it back in at the end like it got to the point where we were evaluating seattle to the tune of every single game is a coin flip doesn't matter if they're much better or much worse than the team they're playing. They're going to be yeah. in it at the end because they have Russell Wilson because he can do some things that no one else on the field can do. But they also have a coach who's going to make terrible decisions and put them in situations that they you know would otherwise be obviously and easily winning a game. And I did not bet on Seattle versus Green Bay in part because we were you know Rob was riding fourteen to one to win the NFC, but even more so because I looked at it and I was like. Dude, Green Bay, so much, so many teams have had success running the ball on them. And Schottenheimer and Pete Carroll are going to look at the yeah. numbers. They're going to look at the it's tape and they're going to like, we can run this ball, no problem. And it took, they, they digging themselves a freaking three score hole yeah. before they, before they pulled their heads out of their asses. And yeah. you know, you just have to live with that if you're, you know, if you're getting involved in those games. But, you know, they, but at the same time, like, you know, you're going to get value on them when they're playing teams that are, you know, that are at or be, you know, better than their level. Uh, like the, the two times they played the Niners, Niners clearly a better team, clearly better coached, and yet both of those games were coin flips. Yeah, and you know, it's it's uh, it's the way <laughs> I, you yeah. have to kind of come at it at the very end of it and just say, okay, well, you know, we'll take them when they're dogs that are, you know, where they're they're prohibitively, you know, priced dogs, and we'll you know we'll steer clear of them when. You know, they when there's some specific potential landmine that we know is going to, uh, you know, it's going to derail Schottenheimer and Carroll because they're predictable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's always a, that's a tricky thing I've come across because I think our grades try, you know, do a pretty good job of untangling performance from other things. But then, you know, when you apply them in a modeling framework. You know, we do have coaching grades, but again, it's it's more of the per. It's I, I consider them like Andy Reid coaching grades, like play for play. Andy Reid's terrific, but it's the two minute drill and the fourth down stuff where he stinks, right? Sure. And you know, I think Carol Carol play for play isn't great, and on the fourth down stuff he stinks. So it's sort of like a double whammy. <laughs> but then, but it's you know, it's just tough because at the same time, Russell Wilson's the highest graded quarterback in the NFL besides Tannehill. So it's like, you know. Um, it's it's one of those where it was just and frankly i mean if the seattle makes a two-point conversion or one of their field goals it's fine as you said they're all coin flip games but it's just like i watch that game and i'm just thinking like our assumptions about seattle being even like median uh you know rational are just not valid yeah i mean we're at the point like and there's been coaches like this in the past since we've been handicapping the nfl 
where eventually they get fired. And it's sad because you finally figured them out. <laughs> you finally yeah, yeah. had a read on them. Guy like John Fox in Chicago, right? Like when he, when yeah. he got fired, you know, some, you know, Bears fans are like breathing a sigh of relief, but I was like, wow, bummer. There goes one of the most priceless fades in this exact scenario, which you can count on for eight units a year. <laughs> it's like, yeah. damn it. Yeah. <laughs> so we bet, we bet against him a lot. It was, it was fun. And yeah. I, I think Carol Carol probably has a job as long as he wants it just based on the Yeah, he's the, buddies with Schneider. And Schneider buddies, is buddies yeah, with yeah. the yeah, and Paul Allen's gone. So there's not, you know, they don't even have a, just, you know, a, a, a real decision maker now. If you I mean if you just took somebody off the street and asked like how have the Seahawks been the last fifteen oh, like well, they're one of the best teams in the league, they're always in the playoffs. They've been to the Super Bowl a couple times. Like the, the a lot of this is despite Carroll. Yeah. yeah. You know, obviously it's not some dullard who has no idea what he's doing, but he's completely risk averse at the wrong times. And the, the play calling is, you know, super sketchy at points. Like it just, yeah. it's 20 years in the past and, but they have a magician and we, I bet on Seattle way too much this year. Yeah. There's pluses and minuses with every coach. I mean, how many Super Bowls would Tom Brady have if Belichick could evaluate uh, talent in the drafts? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, Belichick's greatest strength in the draft is knowing where to farm out, like knowing to trade for wide receivers as opposed to draft them. Yeah, right. Except, yeah, and when he when he actually goes to the window or he takes his card takes his card to the window, it's it's setting his team back. So yeah, I don't know. It there's I think I think you just have to work hard on kind of individually qualifying and, and quantifying each particular coach and strengths and weaknesses and be able to see it in a in a very qualitative. Uh, yep. Once you kind of know it from the quantitative side. Anyway, let's wrap this up. This was fantastically interesting. Thank you again for all of your hard work in the space. We appreciate everything you guys are doing and uh, we're, hope we're that subscribers. Uh, yeah, of course. Absolutely. Right. We appreciate that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'd be remiss to let you off the hook without asking what your opinion is on this side and total for the Super Bowl. Looking at KC minus 154. Does that seem about right to you? Or do you think there's a an edge that's manifest somewhere? Well, one of the things I did like early was Kansas City team total over 27. Now that's moved its way up quite a bit. Um, but, I, you know, I don't really have a huge opinion on the side or total for this game. What I do think will probably be where m- the majority of my wagers are placed are on San Francisco overs. Um, let Jimmy G, I think, will be somewhere around 19, 19 and a half for completions. I think he'll be somewhere about 240 for passing yards. I like both of those. I think if you, if you're inclined to like Kansas city, you probably want to take those. If you're inclined to like San Francisco, you probably want to take those. Cause I think if they win, they're going to have to win throwing the football. And if they get behind, they're going to have to throw the football. So for me, <laughs> side or total, I, you know, I, I think it's fairly spot on. Um, obviously like I, you know, if it gets to 55, 56, I'm probably going to bet under. Um, but uh, I'm not, I'm going to respect the market movement there at least early on. Um, but I like, I like, I think Jimmy G has to throw the ball a little bit. And I think some of the prices are probably uh, stunted a little bit by the fact that there have been a lot of games this year. Where he hasn't had to. Yeah, sure. For yeah, sure. We just, yeah. We just saw that. <laughs> think, yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy G overs and mustard unders just kind of <laughs> fade what everyone's excited about. Cause yeah. some of those are, some of those numbers are a little bit of overreaction. Tap into a little recency bias there. We'll get into we'll get into props next week. It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, I gotta tell you, I think the fifty four is still short. Yeah. Well, I, uh, 
I need to bet well, a and I think, explosive. On the game. <laughs> I think, and I think it's for exactly the reason you said, which is there's really there, there's only one game state that lends itself to an under and that's kansas city's defense showing out and smothering san francisco and chiefs win 35 7 and i think that's pretty low likelihood i think the like the these guys trading punches a la rams chiefs is more likely i think these guys trading punches a la niners saints is more likely like i i just this is this has got back and forth scoring in you know a number of different game states and i think hey, we have a long tail on the over but we'll get into that more next week <laughs> and Jimmy G, Jimmy G is such a turnover. So Jimmy G has twi- oh, almost twice point. as many yep. turnover-worthy passes as as not, uh, yep. as big-time throws. So touchdown-interception ratio, uh, sort of more analytically driven. He a, a great deal of his bad passes are turnover-worthy, and so the thirty-five-seven is probably not going to happen just because if he plays poorly, the 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 Chiefs will be in a lot of advantageous situations and. Turnovers are every bit as bad for the under as as poor you know as as good offensive play sometimes. For sure. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Thank you again. Where can people find your stuff? Uh, I'm at uh, on Twitter at pff underscore Eric. Um, we have the PFF forecast, which so after you're listening to the deep dive, uh, we're on YouTube, you know, podcast one, all that kind of stuff. So uh, give it a listen. What's the website? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> pff.com <laughs> it's a good one i use it, it. I, i'm on there we're on the way i know you are too well on there every week looking at stuff there's yeah. almost too much stuff on there sometimes i get uh, confused but i love it it's one of the great tools we use all year and it's been awesome having you on thanks a lot man yeah thanks for having me guys all right best of luck